Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 148. Your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And me, Ravi Abbott. Now, just before we kind of get into the madness of Christmas, which is obviously not too far away now, most people want to chill out a bit this time of year. You're doing the complete opposite. Yeah, so I'm going to be going to America, which is pretty cool. Actually, it's really cheap tickets before Christmas, so it's a good time to fly. You tight one. Is that why you're going this time of year? But the reason we mentioned that in the show is, I mean, you're going to be doing quite a bit to do with retro gaming when you're out there, so hopefully in a couple of weeks' time we can bring you kind of a a Ravi's Travels audio vlog of your uh, tour across America? Yeah, so I'm going uh, to the Vintage Computer Festival, yep. VCF. Uh, they're, they're having like a Christmas dinner party thing, so I'm going along to that so I can film some proper old vintage American machines. In your tuxedo? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Doubt> it. <laughs> you say, say good t-shirt. <laughs> and uh, I'm also going to a lot of barcades in America because they have all of these arcade kind of, drinking places which seem really good and then i'm going to west virginia mm-hmm. to a tiny town called hurricane to see the guys who do the amigos podcast so we're hooking up with fellow amigans in america which is going to be fun yeah, except podcast is really good i mean i generally watch them because they do they do youtube videos like playing amiga games and talking about the hardware and stuff and i, I was watching one the other day they do like a it's kind of like a spin-off kind of show they do as well, and they had a big argument about why Windows sucks and why Linux is. Yeah, like, yeah, that's called cool Insert This too. They yeah. have like all these different shows that spin off it, but they're they're really nice guys, and they're like, no one ever visits us, so I yeah. figured I'm in America. Nine hours drive, that's nothing for Americans, is it? Exactly, so, yeah, it's like the next town, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Ravi's heading off to America in a couple of weeks. That does mean we're hopefully going to get some nice little clips of your journey across America and a few little clips on YouTube and stuff as well. So remember you went to Ireland a couple of years ago, didn't you, to visit John Romero? And yeah. you made a nice little uh, vlog when you are out there too. So listen out for that in the run-up to Christmas. While you're away doing that, um, I'm going to be here. Hard at work prepping the um, Retro Hour Christmas Super Quiz. And based in the turkey. <laughs> yeah, a vegetarian. I don't base much turkey, if I'm honest. But yeah, the quiz is coming based up Based in the nut roast. <laughs> Doesn't quite have the same ring to it, that, no. does it? But yeah, we are doing our quiz again before Christmas. So uh, you might need a little bit of downtime before you get stuck into that. What have you now? Lost two years in a row? Uh, yeah, yeah. I actually saw... Um, quite a few of the quiz members today, actually. Right, okay. So, uh, yeah, probably preparing behind the scenes. Yeah, so uh, we might swap the teams up a bit this year. Because I don't know if it's fair that you and Joe get thwacked every year. So uh, I'll have a little think about that while you're away. Yeah, maybe get, know. like, the guys from Retro Gamer to join one of the teams <laughs> or something. So that is coming up before Christmas. Plenty happening between now and then on the podcast. Even though Ravi's away, we're still going to be here every week. Uh, might even cross live to you on Skype at some point as well. But this week, we are going to bring you a panel that was recorded... At Play Expo in Blackpool. Now, this happened last month. Um, we played a little panel the other week, didn't we, Jeff Minter, who we recorded there as well. But one of the most popular panels that we do, and we've only been doing this probably for about a year now, um, is YouTubers. Now, the people we've got on the show this week, they've all been on the podcast in the past, but we've never had them all, all together, which I think is what makes this panel really interesting. Because there is quite a bit of debate goes on, and I love the way they all kind of bounce off each other and stories kind of organically evolve out of it as well. 
Yeah, like we had Adam Korolik from America on, so we had an American podcast, yep. which was really cool, and Retro Man Cave for the first time on the panel. And they had some really interesting discussions, especially about, like, failed systems, but they also did a thing about how to deal with hate on YouTube, which, how they all deal with it, and yep. what their channels are kind of doing in the future. There's something I really like talking about as well was their kind of tips for restoring old systems. So no Retro Man Cave. We've had Neil on on his own on an episode before. And the thing that really made his channel popular was the Trash to Treasure series that he does. Yeah. And I think he got like, a, you know, gets old machines that are all beaten up and everything like that. And he brings them back to former glory. So, I mean, if you've got any old machines, because people often don't think about this. If you've got like an old console or something that you haven't used for a while... They are actually deteriorating. You do need to actually do some stuff to make sure they stay in good working order. Stuff like recapping and what to look for if you get a second-hand system. So it's actually a really good chat. So we've got Adam Korolek, um, who is like, you know, he's the go-to guy for Sega Dreamcast stuff, isn't he, on YouTube? Totally. Um, who flew over from America. Uh, Neil from Retro Man Cave, Slopes Game Room, Dan from that, and uh, Kim Justice, all on a panel, recorded live at Play Expo in Blackpool. We're going to be bringing you that chat on today's podcast in around 15 minutes from now. And I think actually three of those work for Sega now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you love Sega, it is actually a really good chat. And we were there celebrating the Dreamcast anniversary when we were there as well, because it was 20 years. Yeah, um, we haven't put the Dreamcast panel on our podcast, but it's actually on the DreamPod, which yeah. which makes sense, doesn't it? It's the Dreamcast kind of podcast. But listen to that. It's a really good panel. Adam's on there as well, and same with DJ Slopes. Yes, I'll put that in this week's show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, before we get into the news this week, um, something happening this weekend that you might want to check out, off the back of Play Expo, there is a retro gaming market happening in Bristol this weekend. God, I've not been to one of those. I've seen photos of them and they look absolutely rammed. But if I went, I'd probably have to get a new mortgage on the house. (laughs) Yeah, it's so tempting to spend money, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah. Every time we're at a play expo, I'm like, you know, should I check that up? Because I always bring like about 150 quid and easily spend that. Uh, But if you do want to check out, um, kind of good timing as well before Christmas, maybe treat yourself before you buy gifts for all the family. It is going to be happening this weekend at the Passenger Shed in Bristol on a Sunday the 18th of November, the Bristol Gaming Market. So it's kind of a little bit of a tester to see, you know, what the retro gaming scene's like in Bristol and maybe there will be more stuff coming up there in the future if, uh, you know, if you like it, if you live down in that area. Definitely check it out. And if you want to get a link to where that is, I'll put all the information. There's a little Facebook page if you search for Bristol Gaming Market or I'll put that in this week's show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, I can't believe how close we're getting out of this show's third anniversary. I know, we're approaching episode 150 as well, which is is, uh, two episodes away. Pretty cool. Really good that we've made these landmarks in the show, but I mean, we could not do it without your support now. We do have a little tip jar that you'll find on the front page of theretrohour.com. We've got our renewal costs are coming up soon, everything as well in January, so this will be very well timed. I appreciate it is a very expensive time of year. But if you'd like to help us out into the running of the podcast, make a little tip through the website via PayPal or cryptocurrency, if you're into that, at theretrohour.com. And for doing that, you will get a mention on a future episode in the most prestigious honour, the best high score table in the world of retro gaming, the Retro Hour Hall of Fame. Just like this week, thank you Samu, Matthew Cooper, Carl Parks, and Matthew Martin, who all made donations into the running of the show, and you can do the same at theretrohour.com. And remember, you can also go on Discord and any guests that you know or you want to get on the show, put in our show suggestions and we can do a little bit of research. It's, it's really good actually getting suggestions from listeners. It's like they're curating the show. Yeah, it does come in handy though because, I mean, like I said, we've been doing 150 of these now. It does get the stage where you're thinking, like, uh, yeah, who else is left to interview? And we've got to that stage a couple of times and then, uh, you know, you'll go on Discord 
And people will be like, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about this team? And suddenly you've got a list of like 30 people we never even thought of. Yeah, I think I think we've run to the extent of people we know. Yeah. And now we're getting to people we don't know, systems we don't know. And they're more fascinating, I find, yeah. because it's like, not like, oh, I've met my hero. It's like, oh my God, I didn't know about this. You know? Well, that episode we did last week about teletext, I saw you oh, being sent to Raspberry Pi, yeah. haven't you now? <laughs> yeah. What have you got on there then? Yeah, so um... I, I I saw the complex stuff that you could do on the Raspberry Pi and everything, yep. and I was like, I want to run TFAX on this, and I just kind of full-screened the website and put it on there, and then had a little Bluetooth thing, and now I've got it in my house, yeah, uh, a little monitor with TFAX running on there and all the old teletext stuff on there. It's awesome. Yeah, so if you missed last week's show, essentially this is... Teletext reborn, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, they upload new information. Have you read Mr. Biffo's section? Yeah, and they take BBC News off it. Yeah. They have art competitions on it, everything. And it's it's just very easy. You can have it on your old TV or you can have it on the web interface on your iPhone. <laughs> well, I might do a little video on that, I think, over yeah, the next couple of weeks. It. When you're away and, and things quieting down a little bit in terms of the podcast, maybe I'll get a little video out made on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is one thing I do love about this show, the fact that we're constantly learning new things about retro, which, you know, sounds a bit of an oxymoron, but, you know, there's new news all the time. So we are going to get into some of those stories in just a minute, including Nintendo, a little bit of a development on that ROM story that um, is not all that pleasant. And also a new bizarre mini system that we need to talk about. Now, before we get into that, we just want to give a big thank you to this week's sponsor, The Economist. Now, we've got a little offer here where essentially every Retro Hour listener can get a free copy of The Economist, which I think is pretty cool. That is absolutely awesome. And all you need to do is text the word retro to 78070. Now, the reason we're talking about The Economist is a lot of people kind of think, you know, based on the name, I mean, it's been going for a long time, 170 years. The Economist has been in print now. So it's pretty well established, I think it's fair to say. Definitely. But it's about more than just, you know, economics and finance and stuff like that. They, they cover stuff like politics, business, uh, science, technology, the arts. And the reason we're talking about it is they cover gaming as well. And we were reading this article before that I thought was really interesting. It's this study that's been done about the link between video games and unemployment. Because they're saying, you know, often the, the job sector can be hard for young people to get into. And like a video game's kind of filling a void for people that, you know, might not be in employment at the moment. Yeah, they're kind of talking about how, you know, video games used to be really expensive luxury items. And now that they've got a lot cheaper in luxury items, everybody's getting a lot more of them. And a lot of people's spare time's getting taken up by this. So are they kind of, you know, distracting themselves with these games or actually is it going to lead to some new employment but also i mean we, we got into a little discussion after that about how it can actually lead on to employment i mean you look at our, our discussion we got today a lot of the people on there are full-time youtubers now who are doing youtube channels about video games and being employed by sega and stuff yeah. and this has led to them having lots of opportunities but there's also a lot of courses now online available and stuff and they're saying you know a lot of people aren't having the formal training now that's it. Now, The Economist is the smart guide to the forces changing your world. And, you know, the broad range of topics they cover, there really is something for everybody. You might even read stuff that manages to change your opinion on things you already thought or learn lots of new things too. And we'd like you to check it out for yourself. Now, you can get a free print copy of The Economist just by texting the word retro and send it to 78070. And for doing that, you'll be really helping out the podcast as well. So get your free print copy of The Economist today. Text the word retro and send it to 78070. Help out the podcast and get a free copy of The Economist in the post. Everyone's a winner. 
Now, we're going to bring you our panel of YouTubers recorded live at Play Expo in Blackpool in just a minute. First, though, let's talk about this new development in the world of Nintendo ROMs. Now, this was back in the summer. Do you remember Nintendo were taking down ROM sites? Well, yeah, uh, ROM sites were taking down Nintendo ROMs because yeah. they didn't want to get sued, basically. So they were disappearing everywhere. Sites like Emu Paradise just totally took them all off. Yeah, well, Nintendo got in touch with, uh, you know, you've got to take these down now. You know, these are our copyright, these are our trademarks. Now it turns out one of the sites that was affected was called Love ROMs and loveretro.co.uk. They've agreed to a $12 million judgment in favour of Nintendo. So essentially... Nintendo are claiming $12 million worth of damages because, I mean, it was actually run by a married couple. They've admitted that they were, you know, direct and indirect copyright and trademark infringing Nintendo's IPs. So this is quite bizarre. This is unheard of, really, in, in terms of retro gaming and ROMs. They're saying because, you know, they had Nintendo first-party titles up there like Mario Kart and Super Mario and stuff like that. Nintendo's saying, you know, they want $12 million worth of damages. And, you know, ROMs, they've never really been. They've kind of gone under the radar for yeah. many years, haven't they? And Nintendo seem to be the the main guys when it comes to uh, kind of protecting their trademark. Like, with stuff like YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, they're always taking down videos of any Nintendo footage. But this is quite a lot. I, I'm astonished to think that a ROM site would even have this money. You yeah, know, well, I imagine they haven't. They haven't, yeah. I mean, I've been reading some stuff about it. They reckon that they may settle out of court and it might go for a lower amount. But I think, you know, Nintendo doesn't need 12 million. No. no. They've got enough money in the bank. But I think the reason they're doing this, you know what it kind of reminds me of? Do you remember like in the early 2000s when the music industry did this with MP3s? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Napster to iTunes, isn't it? Yeah. Where the retro games are now actually getting put in a kind of store format or on a mini console, whereas before they were just... Free for all, you know, it was a bit chaotic before. But what I think they're doing is the same as, like, the the music industry did. They're making examples of people. Oh, yes. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Do you remember when MP3s came out and they did the whole um, gill for downloading nursery rhymes? That was one. Yeah, yeah. wasn't that millions as well, wasn't it? And I remember some story about, like, um, a mum who who had, like, a a nine-year-old kid and he downloaded a song and, like, the the music industry went after them for, like, millions and millions, and she was like, didn't even know her son had done it. But again, I I think it's really... The reason they're doing this is to frighten off every other ROM site from hosting any first-party Nintendo stuff. Uh, I think it's going to just drive it underground. And, yeah, it's strange because... I don't know if they're going to start going after hardware now. Hardware that looks similar to Nintendo stuff or, like, those little Raspberry Pi kits or stuff like that. We'll see where it goes. It needs to kind of go the way the music industry did because no one cares about downloading MP3s anymore. You know, no, we all stream them now off like Spotify and that kind of mm. thing. And Nintendo are kind of getting there. I mean, you know, since the, the update on the um, the Nintendo Switch and you've got the, um, you know, playable streaming service on there as well, play the old NES games, which works really well, actually. I don't know if you've used it, have you? Have you used the old I've, NES I've games not on used there? it, no, yeah. Well, essentially, you open up the, the NES emulator, essentially, and you've got like a little wall there with all the games on, you press them, they come straight on. You don't have to download them or anything like that. But there's only about maybe 12 games in there at the moment. Yeah, what they need to do is have some kind of store. Like, you know, some store that you can connect to online and then... Yeah, stream everything. Stream everything yeah. for 10p a game or something. Because, I mean, what you said then is right. All they're going to do is drive it underground. You know, yeah, yeah. okay, I might not be able to go to a website and download, um, you know, Mario Kart on the SNES, but 
I bet I can find a torrent site with it on in like five or, minutes. Or use that in two minutes. You know? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So that's all you're going to do. You're going to people will find different ways if they want to play these games. But the solution to it is make them readily available, make them affordable. I mean, if they were all on there for like you know maybe fifty cents or something on the on the Switch, I wouldn't be bothered to download them. It's like I'm playing them easy enough for like next to nothing or free. But I'd say the real positive thing out of this is that companies are now looking at the retro market yep. when they weren't before. They totally ignored it. They didn't care about their old games. Now they're like, oh, oh, we can make some money. Let's revisit this. You know? <laughs> there is value in those games yeah. that we thought no one cared about. Now that kind of leads on quite nicely into the next story because um, you know you kind of talk then about the fact that every company seems to be revisiting their past at the moment. We've had mini consoles coming out of our ears recently, yeah. haven't we? We've got the Mega Drive Mini coming out next year. The uh, the PlayStation Mini is due out next talk month. Talk at the CDI Mini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, but what about this? A PC Classic Mini console that lets you play DOS games. Don't like the name because PC means personal computer. Yeah. But uh, I think DOS, like MS-DOS machine, <laughs> MS-DOS Mini, you know, but maybe they wouldn't have Microsoft. Who's actually bringing this out? Well, you know? this is a company called Unit E. Now, they're going to do this as a crowdfunder. All they've done at the moment is released a little video. It's um, <laughs> this weird-looking little device. I mean, it doesn't look very big. It looks a bit like, you know, there could be a little arm-based system in there. Yeah, it, got, it doesn't look like a retro tower to me. It looks more like a fan heater or something, <laughs> you know. Well, I think it's meant to be. I mean, it's in like, um, I love the comment on here as well, classic chain smoker beige. Yeah. <laughs> That's the colour it is. But it is just a tiny little handheld system. It's got like a little fake floppy drive. Looks like a five and a quarter inch drive, you know, with a little lever on there too. Um, a fan on the front, a couple of USB ports in there too, where I imagine you plug in like a keyboard or... Uh, you know, any other kind of classic controller you wanted to, and a power button on the front of it. It's such a big period classic PC. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, you, you start with, like, the really early stuff, you know, beepers and no sound card and CGA graphics, and then you go to, like, Quake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's going to be hard to pick what they're going to have on this console, you know, to please a, a, a wide-ranging audience. Do you think they're going to have, like, the um, Gateway 2000 classic in the future or Michael <laughs> Dell classic, you know? Well, that's the thing. I mean, PCs have never really been... I mean, first of all, they're not custom hardware. Yeah. You know, and the fact it's is... It's all third party, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, it's all off-the-shelf stuff. So, I mean, they haven't really given any tech specs as to what, I mean, you know, if it's going to emulate a certain architecture, will it kind of cut off at the Pentium or the 386? They have showed there's a little trailer that's um, gone up on YouTube this week, and they're going to start crowdfunding it before the end of the year, apparently. Um, there's not any information on price or anything like that, but if you watch the trailer, they reckon it's going to play, uh, ship with at least 30 pre-installed games. Mm. And they do show Doom in the trailer too. Yeah, you can play Doom on your fridge, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you play Doom on anything. That's the thing. Um, I think anyone who's interested enough to want to play classic PC games has probably got a PC already. Yeah. You, yeah. Can, you can play these on. So the thing about PC architecture is you can actually get the original shareware release of Doom and still play it on a modern PC, you know, either by DOSBox or natively sometimes. There, you said it, DOSBox. I reckon that's what this is probably going to be running on as well. Or yeah. will it be a little ARM-based thing like a Raspberry Pi with a little emulator? But I don't we, know. we never know, Dan. It could surprise us. It could have amazing features in there. And will it have a sound blaster? That's what we'll ask. Well, the thing, the thing about this is, though, I think anyone who was a PC gamer then, especially then, because you had to be quite technically minded, 
You remember like um, IRQ, conflicts and all that. These have on DOS, which I'm hoping this won't have. But, I mean, the fact that you had to be technically minded to play PC games in the late 80s and 90s probably means that anyone who does still care about it has got the technical know-how to set up a Raspberry Pi running DOSBox or something like that. But then you look in here, there's a few people saying, all right, okay, I might be able to do that myself, but if you give me a little box I can plug into my TV with, like, um, you know, the old LucasArts games on there as well, Ultima, Doom, Hex and Quake, maybe a bit of SimCity, and it's cheap enough, then maybe it would be a cool little solution. As long as the games are good on it, that's the thing, isn't it? It depends whether they can license them or not, but... It does kind of prove that, you know, this mini thing's going a bit insane now, isn't it? It's gone too far. <laughs> I want maxis. I want big ones. <laughs> Back. <laughs> well, this kind of follows on nicely from that. I mean, we did talk about the Mega Drive Mini coming out as well. Sega have been reapplying for some of their lapsed console trademarks in Japan. Oh. So it turns out, I mean, we knew the Mega Drive Mini was coming next year. But also they've re-registered the Sega Saturn Dreamcast patents as well and trademarks for the controllers on each too. Now, they've actually put applications in, showing the diagrams of them and everything too. So some people have been speculating, does that mean Sega are going to be doing some like kind of re-released Saturn or Dreamcast hardware or something related uh, yeah, to that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't feel that the appeal for the Saturn Mini would be that big, but like the Dreamcast Mini, maybe a later Sega console they might make, or have you seen the recent uh, kind of Switch that was modded with the... Dreamcast 2 kind of logos No, I didn't say that. Stuff. What yeah. was that? Someone's actually made a fake Dreamcast Full modded version. <laughs> and some people were like, this is appalling. Yeah. Sega on a Nintendo <laughs> console. But, you know, they, there's always rumours of a Dreamcast 2, isn't there? <laughs> In development. And it will, it will, I'll, I'll put my hand down here and say that. It will never happen. No. We're never going to get a Dreamcast I, I 2. Keep, I keep hope somewhere in my heart. It's like, yes, come on. I mean, you know, as much as the community would love it, I don't think Sega will no, ever do it. Yeah. I mean, the fact that though they they hopefully are going to be doing this Mega Drive console themselves next year is kind of, you know, it's the first entry into the hardware market, the first console they've made since the Dreamcast. So yeah, yeah. they're dipping the toe back into hardware. But I'm I just hope at, it's not more minis. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, that's the only thing this could be yeah. if it is going to be actual consoles. Um, I can't see them putting out a full-size Sega Saturn or a Dreamcast at any point in the next couple well, of years. Well, there's been some pretty cool developments. Like, they've had a Dreamcast wireless controllers yeah. that started coming out commercially and stuff. So I don't know if they put these patents in, how that's going to affect the other stuff. Well, some people are saying, I mean, there's quite a lot of people are getting very excited saying stuff like, you're like, oh, they're definitely going to bring out a Dreamcast too. Um, which even if they did, I can't imagine that it would look like the original or have the same controller. Um, and they're definitely not going to make a Sega Saturn 2. <laughs> that's never going to happen. But I think either, I mean, number one, these trademarks have kind of lapsed, so they're just re-registering them so someone else can't get them, Yeah, uh, which might make sense. But also, I mean, I've seen some other people talking about the fact that there is a big market, especially in Japan, for merchandise. So, you know, bags that look like Mega Drives and little wallets and that kind of thing that yeah. they, they might want to slap the logo on or something like that, which, as unexciting as it sounds, I think that's probably... Quite likely. That's what it's going to be, isn't it? So. A pair of pants, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You'd love a, set, a pair of Sega Saturn boxer shorts, wouldn't yeah. you, Ravi? A Sega Saturn thong. <laughs> so, yeah, if that does happen, we'll, uh, we'll of course, let you know. Ravi, I'll model it for you. Never. No, no one wants to say that. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that story and everything else we've talked about. You can check them all out at theretrohour.com. Now, before we get into our YouTubers panel recorded live at Play Expo, we don't just talk about gaming on this show. We do talk about fascinating technology as well. And in terms of tech the history of tech, there's not much more interesting things out there than travelling to the moon. Now, Alvor's been a bit of a space geek. Oh, I've totally been a space geek. Have you uh, seen any of the recent movies about space, gravity? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that that was really good. Uh, But this is real life. So what we're talking about here is 
a restoration of the Apollo AGC unit that was on Apollo 11. Oh, wow. So next year, and I was reading this and this kind of, I was like, wow, next year is a pretty big year. Next year is the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. That's awesome. So what they're doing at the moment is the AGC is the auto guidance computer. So this was the machine that essentially was on board. There are two of them from what I've been reading. There's one on like um, the spacecraft itself and one on the um, the little unit, that the LEM, I think it was called, that went down onto the moon. So this would help the astronauts. I have seen that unit. Yeah, it's in NASA in Florida, I think. They've got it there. I think, I think, I think, I think it was a reproduction in yeah. some museum. <laughs> but the maddest thing that I saw in it was that basically they have a, a guidance system, which is just a, a load of lines drawn in a piece of glass, and you'd look out the yeah. window <laughs> and line, it, line up it up with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this unit was on board that helped them kind of steer and helped it land safely on the moon, okay. that kind of thing. Um, really interesting. It was actually one of the very first computers to use microchips. Because it came out in 1965, it was developed, and yeah. chips only really came yeah. around a couple of years before that. It was all vowels before that, wasn't yeah, it? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, what's interesting is, though, I mean, there's a video that's just been released. It's called the Apollo AGC Restoration Part 1. And this is a group of space and computer nerds who locked themselves in a hotel in Houston. And they've got suitcases with NASA logos on and all that. Awesome. And their goal is to get this machine, to get this computer that helped the astronauts land on the moon 50 years ago working for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing next year. That is wicked. I love these kind of restoration projects, like the stuff they do at Bletchley Park. And, oh, yeah. And all of this, it's great. It's, it's like kind of less technology that, than was in your phone was used to land on the moon. Oh, less, t- just... less technology than was in a Nokia 3310, <laughs> yeah. let alone your phone you've got today. But, I mean, they even tell a story of how they got hold of this, and it was a guy called Mike Stewart who is a space engineer, and he worked at NASA for a while, and he was walking through their kind of um, vaults one day, and he saw a load of boxes marked like Apollo 11. He went, oh, so that, what's all that stuff? Looked in it, and it was all the stuff that they used to get to the moon. <laughs> Just all the spare bits. Yeah. And yeah. He, he bought it off NASA. Wow. And he's had it sitting around for like, you know, a couple of decades. And now they're going to get it working again. So, I mean, there is actually, I didn't know this, but there's a guy who's helping them who, who made an emulator of the, um, the AGC. <laughs> so if you want to run it on your computer at home and emulate it, you can. But he's helping them get this machine working again. That's amazing. So it's, I mean, even looking at the video, they're sitting there with like the original schematics and the hand tracing where all the connections go and stuff. It's like... It reminds yeah. me of that Tom Hanks film where they um, had to kind of recreate the air filtration. Was oh, that Apollo 13? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. had to recreate it. Yeah, yeah that, that was really good. Yeah, I mean, I've always found space travel fascinating. And the fact that they're going to be doing this to mark, like, you know, that landmark anniversary. So I imagine next year there's probably going to be loads of celebrations going on about the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. It's got yeah. to be a big deal. Yeah, and I've been, uh, I've got this thing on VR, which is uh, Buzz Aldrin's uh, cycle to Mars. Oh, cool. And it's showing exactly how we're kind of waiting for the Earth to get into the right cycle so that we can like fire ourselves across yeah. and then <laughs> get to Mars in the, in the kind of quickest time possible. It's really awesome. And a lot of that's kind of based on the moon landing and stuff. Well, I love stuff like when I was a kid, I'd read all the Patrick Moore books and stuff like yeah, that. And I yeah. remember like, you know, thinking I had like, um, I think I've still got it actually, a CD-ROM that was on the Commodore CD-TV, NASA's 25th anniversary, and it shows the story of like, you know, the Apollo missions and the early kind of... I thought we'd be in space already. That is exactly <laughs> what I was going to yeah. say. I thought, wow, by the time I'm growing up, I'm going to be able to go to the moon for a Come weekend. Come on, Branson. Which, uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm never going to be able to afford that in my lifetime, even if it does become readily available, but um, the closest I'll probably get is emulating this thing on my computer at home. <laughs> but if you want to watch a video, I and mean, it's only part one, I imagine it's going to be quite a process getting it up and running, but you know, it is so nerdy, but it's so interesting. Awesome. So if you want to check the video out, 
I'll put that and everything else we talked about at theretrohour.com. Now, before we get into our panel recorded live at Play Expo in Blackpool, our YouTubers panel, uh, it's a quick reminder, of course, um, if you do listen on any podcast clients, please do keep your reviews coming in. Our Facebook page as well, we've got some lovely reviews on there. And, I mean, you know, it really does mean a lot to us because it helps us get in the charts, helps us get in front of new people, and 2019 is going to be the year for this show. Totally. Like, last week we reached number 10 in the charts. It was a new chart, wasn't it? On gaming. Yeah, yeah, because we've entered a new category, which is gaming overall. And we had one comment, which was, everybody's talking about Red Dead Redemption 2, you're talking about Teletext. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) Yeah, bamboozle. I'd play that any day over Red Dead Redemption 2, which I haven't got yet, but I thought so, yeah, please do keep your reviews and your ratings and all that coming in and retweet it all helps get the show out there in front of people. That will be massively appreciated. Right then, let's get into this panel. So interesting, featuring some of our favourite retro gaming YouTubers recorded live at Play Expo in Blackpool. Now, our panel that we've got here, we've actually had everybody here on our podcast in the past. So it's actually great to meet them in person again and they'll be able to bring them to you here at Play Expo in Blackpool. So we'll start with you, Adam. Just do us a quick introduction for people that might not be aware of what your channel's about. Give us a bit of a, a description. All right. Well, I'm your token American guest. Um, so I do videos on uh, my own channel, Adam Corlick, a lot of retro video games, of course, and that's what I've uh, worked with them for. I also do, I work on three other channels as well. One called Game Society Pimps, which is a lot of gameplay comedy. Blame Society Films, which does short films, uh, beer and board games, Chad Vader, if anybody remembers that. Uh, and then uh, Machinima. I do a lot of stuff with them, if people remember them as well. Yeah, I am Kim Justice. I do various documentaries on game companies from the past, uh, mainly focus on stuff like the Amiga, the Spectrum, a bit of Mega Drive and PlayStation. I chat to the old farts who did all these things. Being an old fart myself, it's, it's all good, you know. We have all that in common. And yeah, that's me pretty much. I stream, I occasionally do really weird videos that absolutely nobody gets about 13th century faith healers and things like that. Um, yeah, that's me, Dan. Yep. Uh, yeah, hi guys. I am Daniel Iberson, aka DJ Slope from Slope's Game Room. I am most known for my Complete History series where I look into the Complete History on particular franchises, everything from... Uh, you know, Streets of Rage, Golden Axe, uh, House of the Dead is coming up. Uh, should have been this weekend. I didn't I run out of time um, because I'm here. Um, and I also do uh, the Kick Scammer series, which has uh, risen in popularity incredibly on my channel, where I look at very obscure Kickstarter stories. Um, yeah, that, that, that raises a, it's a crazy series, and I get a lot of backlash off that one. So, yeah, I do that too. Hello, my name's Neil. Uh, I'm a retro man, and I have a cave, which is why my channel is called Retro Man Cave. I like to explore computer history in the cave, revisit the occasional old game. We occasionally have a, a live stream, and some of the, the live stream crew are here, Mr. Dalton over there. Um, and my viewers are affectionately known as cave dwellers, so if any are here, hello cave dwellers. Well, when you're making a YouTube channel, usually there's kind of one video that blows up when you really start thinking about, you know, I'm going to start taking this seriously. Um, do you have a point when this happened? No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do. Very first video I ever did, uh, essentially. <laughs> um, I, I sat on the first video for such a long time, the story of Roland. Annoyingly, if you look back, it's no longer my first video. I got flagged by the BBC, annoyingly, because I used a news clip without getting permission, blah, blah, blah. And I've re-uploaded it now. You'll be able to find it. But it's, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I made it, and I sat on it for quite a while, and I kept changing my voice. I kept trying to be a very, not you, but a very a typical American YouTuber, <laughs> trying you to be a bit wacky and like make it look like I'm in, only interested because it's a 
bad game, you know. <laughs> what, what was it like? Like, what's your accent on that? Is it like, do you take a credit? No, card? I tried to be. I tried to be Beetlejuice essentially. I was like, hey, hey, hey how's it going? And that's generally how. I was, and I was going to be animated as well. So I redid this first video, many, and that's what I did. Uh, so yeah, I, I basically did that video. I went over to the retro gamer, um, as in the magazine in the forums. I was very naughty. I posted it in the area that you're not supposed to post it into. Sat there, no reply. Sat there, no reply. And the next day I woke up, and there was like two pages of people giving me thumbs up. So for me, obviously nowadays that wouldn't be a blown up video, but back then that was a big blow up compared to other channels that I was seeing. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for real. And literally from that very first video, I decided I wanted to be a YouTuber. What about you, Neil? What was the video that really blew up for you? Amiga 500, um, easily. It was this time last year, actually, last October. Um, I was fairly new. I've been a YouTuber for about 18 months or so. And um, I started this Trash to Treasure series where I took a beaten up old Amiga 500 and tried to restore it back as, as good as new if possible. And I think I put episode two of that series out. And um, it was the only video I put out that month. And I got 400,000 views that month, which for a growing channel, small channel, was very good. But I didn't realize it at the time. I thought, oh, this YouTube business, this is easy. 400,000 views with one video a month, and I've never had that many views again in a month. So uh, it was a bit of a crash back down to reality when I realized that, that wasn't the norm. But it was the Amiga 500 for me, for sure. Well, Kim, everyone's been talking about um, your latest video yes. about sensible software. Um, mm. Tell us a bit about that then and how you got to making that with John Hare, because it's, it's like two and a half hours, isn't it? Well, it's kind of, I mean... My own YouTube journey, I mean, I've been doing it for, what, six years now, and it just kind of started as a hobby, and there's been gradual things going up, so, you know, another video, you know, gets a big rise. I mean, at first it was, like, silly top 20s, and then um, I did a video on Ocean Software. That was kind of what convinced me to go full-time. And since then, I've been doing, like, documentaries on computer houses, and they've been getting more and more in-depth, and... The actual process of getting like, in touch with John Hare actually started going to events like this because obviously you've got all sorts of gaming legends. You've got your John Hares, you've got your Jim Bagley's, Jeff Minters, Oliver Twins, um, who all come along. And and so, yeah, we'd got chatting last year in Manchester and he, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, we should do something at some point because he's fairly local to where I am. We're both Essex folk. And so, yeah, eventually, after <laughs> a few more months... It um, finally started coming to pass. It was like, right, this is kind of how I want to take the documentaries now. And, um, and I mean, you all, you all know John, how generous he is of his time. And, you know, he, give him a microphone, give him something to talk into. He will talk for ages. So end up with this two and a half hour long interview. And with something like Sensible Software, I mean, there is so much ground to cover in how important they were. So it's like even as long as that video was and... I'm not generally known for short videos anyway, and even and people are saying nothing could have been cut out of that, really. Uh, well, Adam, you do the Keep Dreaming series as well. Yes, yes, I and, do. And uh, what were the kind of aims behind that? And has, that's uh, gone on for a long time, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, so, okay, my story's a little different, because I never set out to be a YouTuber. I actually went to college for uh, film production, and originally, you know, it was just like, okay, I'm, I'm making only short films in college. And there's no money in that. You can't make a living doing that. So I was like, oh, I should put them on YouTube and just find an audience. But then it's like, well, nobody's looking for that stuff. You need more video content. What do I know? I know video games. What do I have a ton of? Dreamcast crap. Let's make a whole bunch of videos about Dreamcast stuff. 
And that's pretty much how it went. And then as it went on, I was like, oh, people are actually watching us. That's cool. So just kept going and kept going. And then I was like, I'll start making things of other, you know, uh, based on other consoles and other stories and other things. And but yeah, Keep Dreaming is still going, uh, mostly because they still release new games, which is awesome. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty much my journey with it on that channel anyway. And if you look at your channel, you actually do these um, in-depth kind of reviews of different generations of consoles as well. I mean, did, did you set out to do all of them or did they just get that popular? No. All right. So um, a few years ago, uh, after the seventh gen consoles, or sorry, the eighth gen consoles had come out, so Xbox One, Wii U, PS4, uh, I thought it would be kind of cool to do a video just talking about the previous ones, the Wii, the Xbox 360, PS3, what it was like, whatever. It was going to be a one-off. That was it. I wasn't going to do anything else. And then people were like, you should do the next one. And I was like, all right. So I did all the sixth gen stuff and all the fifth gen. And then fourth gen, and third gen, second gen. So I just have first gen left, but the problem with that is it's all Pong clones. So it's not that interesting, at least from the American perspective. Well, also, um, Slopes, you basically had some people comment on your videos that were actually part of the subject of the video. Uh, so h how have you kind of replied to them, and have you had any interesting interactions uh, with people? Yeah, um, I, so I don't know how many people in here have seen the latest video I've done about Bob's game. Yeah, anyone? Yeah, so <laughs> for the people that haven't, uh, I did a, so that's, that's a, that was a Kickstarter series, um, a Kickstarter special that I did. Um, it, it, there's a lot of ones that happen on video games, but this is probably one of the more interesting ones. Um, I'll give you a little insight on it as well, which is really quite disgusting. But anyway, so Bob's game uh, is about this guy that went crazy creating a game for five years, 15,000 hours making this game, isolated himself in his room because Nintendo wouldn't reply to his messages about making it into a, an official Nintendo DS game. He started losing his mind, he smashed up his room, and it essentially turned into the whole thing was fake. Um, but he'd done it as a big marketing uh, a way to try and get people to talk about his game, which was good, a lot of people were, but obviously it really wound up Nintendo because he was like, focusing on how evil Miyamoto was and so it was really quite crazy so I, I, I did this whole video like talking about him and explaining like this whole story um, the the messed up thing is and I, 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 I think it's true because I've had more than one source tell me now about how crazy this man was in real life the stuff that you don't hear about so here's a few things that are <laughs> quite disgusting uh, I'm not laughing because it's nice it, it's horrible so he to work with him, apparently this guy, Bob, um, first he would go ballistic, as you can imagine. He would stop people, like anyone that wanted to work with him, he'd stop them and go, no, 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 I'm the person that's going to do this. And I'm the person. And everyone, everyone that ever worked with him, he would, he would never be able to work in a team. He'd always cut them off and he'd be the only person. And the, the, the craziest thing I have heard now from two different sources uh, is the fact that he actually also killed his cat because the cat was annoying him while he was making this game. He like literally suffocated the thing. So this guy is... I, I thought he was a bit of a troubled soul, a bit funny, but no, he's actually quite evil. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> there's something. That's I'm never going to make a follow-up to that video because of the stuff I've heard is too mental for my channel. So <laughs> follow on from that one. <laughs> have you ever heard of Temple OS? <laughs> yeah, I've have definitely heard, heard of Temple OS. <laughs> Everyone's oh, asking yeah. me to do Temple OS. <laughs> Did, didn't he die recently, though? Terry Davis? He, he did. Yeah. Died. He so was, if anyone did doesn't he? know, yeah, he's dead. Really? He's he was dead. walking a train track, oh, and they don't wow. know if it was on purpose or if it was an accident. But yeah. Oh, Does anyone here know what Temple OS is? Yeah, I was going to ask. Anyone heard of it? It wasn't. It's an operating system by... It, wasn't he schizophrenic? Yes. And he made it. It was his gateway to God, wasn't it? And yeah, he wanted to talk, talk to God. God so. told him to make this operating system, but he went so far into it that he had to actually make his own programming language. Mm. So his own version of like C++, essentially. Uh, but it went down to the exact point of, like, it was his way of speaking to God. 
um, uh, through his own operating system. It was his. It was his portal essentially. There was um, yeah. There was wasn't there. Um, there's one of like the applications on it. It's basically like you. He clicks the button and God apparently comes up with like random phrases. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But the, 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 the guy obviously believes what he's doing. He's schizophrenic. He's he's dead now. And I'm going to do a video on it. And what um, I'll, I'll tell you guys the way I, I create my videos is I try and do it in a storyline basis. So. I, especially when I'm focused on a particular person, you may not like the guy in the first place, which is what I'm aiming to do in this because he's an incredible racist. He'll call people N-words all the way through his uh, live streams, all that sort of stuff, but he's actually a very nice person he, and he's not being offensive. It's just what he thinks in his mind. You know, he doesn't. he's not saying it as a, a, a negative slur. He actually, it's just, you know, that sort of thing. It's very, very crazy stuff. And I want to do this video and then flip it around and then people to understand what this person was really like in real life. So that's something that's coming up. Well, Neil, you do Trash to Treasure series as well, which is a Speaking of crazy one. people, Neil, tell us about <laughs> this. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you've kind of done some scientific stuff with finding about getting the yellow out of uh, uh, items with <clears throat> retrobiting, but you did like the definitive retrobiting video. Oh, it'd be a stretch to call it science, but yeah. Um, the, the art, shall we call it, of, of reversing yellowing in plastic. So as you know, retro kit turns yellow because I think it's because of the bromine in the plastics, the, the, the fire retardant material turns it yellow over time. So you can reverse that process by covering the plastics in peroxide and um, getting lots of sunlight or in the UK because there's so much rain. Um, I use a sous vide sometimes. So I'll, I'll vacuum pack it and sous vide my old computers to reverse the yellowing. There's nothing crazy about that. That's perfectly normal. Who doesn't do that? Um, and yeah, it's quite successful. Um, so yeah, and I, I've, I tried to do um, an indoor retro brighting guide. So to, to show Brits uh, mainly and Scandinavian countries how we can do it in indoors. Because you always see people like the 8-bit guy who have unlimited access to sunshine and they can just retro so easily. So I wanted to help uh, the guys in, in the wet weather countries out a little bit. And I think it was a success. Yeah, I've got lots of white computers now. You can use a bathtub, or anything. <laughs> you can use a bathtub yeah, yeah. You can use whatever you like. Well, Adam, I know you actually do videos about kind of modding old systems with HDMI output and stuff like that. Uh, I, I do reviews of them. I don't do the mods myself. Um, but yeah, the, there's a lot of great ways to get amazing video quality out of a lot of our older stuff. In fact, there is one booth there that's showing all sorts of stuff that they've worked on that's really, really impressive. But uh, yeah, anytime you're like, oh, there's a new like HDMI cable coming out for like the Xbox, like check my channel. I'm gonna have a video on that. Well, which YouTubers do you guys watch as well? I'd love to hear that. Um, I tend to watch um, obviously gaming stuff. I mean, a lot of people probably on this table and in this room. But a lot of this stuff that I watch outside of that, I watch a lot of non-gaming stuff and <laughs> kind of try and take some sort of like weird inspiration from. I don't know. I I watch a lot of food channels. Is that stereotypical? <laughs> is that something? <laughs> um, like I watch like people like binging with Babish and the Food Ranger who just go around like eating stuff. There's LGR Foods as well. Yeah. yeah Spe speaking L of that, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the thing the thing about LGR's food channel is he can put out a video between his main videos of just him making a sandwich, mm. and it will get ten times the views of my regular videos. I know. It's. It's sobering, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, well, it's a nice-looking bowl of ramen, but... <laughs> yeah, when he, when he was going to be a voice in one of my videos, I was like, oh, yes. 
Yeah, that's yeah. it. That, the little moments like that, you realise you've made it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah, so lazy game reviews for me. Uh, Kim, I generally think to make some of the best content on YouTube. That that sensible. Uh, software one you did. I've got no interest in that company, but watched your whole thing. It was fantastic. Yeah. So people like Kim, obviously, um, uh, uh, Retro Man Cave and Adam as well. Uh, obviously, Larry Bundy. Um, I'm normally involved with most of those videos. Um, you uh, are Larry Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> it's my second channel. Um, but I, I mean, outside of the world of gaming, uh, I, I'm obsessed with Defunct Land. If anyone knows who that is, uh, yeah, I love Defunct Land. Uh, what else do I watch? I, I've been a bit. N Weirdly obsessed with the junk food that is Ali Law recently, <laughs> but his channel's going to get taken down soon. Um, yeah, just yeah, I, I mostly watch gaming content if I'm honest. Uh, but normally, what happens is, you know, when I'm make, creating these videos, I'm looking up so much content on that particular franchise, so much so that my feed just becomes here. Here's another video from the BBC Micro, and here's another video on this, and to the point where you can never get good suggestions anymore because it's all full of that stuff, or Baby Shark, because my son's got hold of my channel. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't really watch that much gaming stuff, mostly to kind of get away from it. So I watch a lot of, like, you know, uh, movie review channels, like, uh, actually, a lot of Australians, like uh, Mr. Sunday Movies, if anybody knows him. Um, a lot of stuff like that, but also partially, I used to watch a lot more actual gaming content, like from people like the gaming historian, Norm. But the problem is, I've ended up, I've, I'm like friends with a lot of those guys now, so it's like almost weird. And uh, I'm sure you guys won't really agree with that, but you should still watch us even though you've met us. But that becomes a problem. Like you start getting to know them too well, and you're like, oh, I don't really, whatever. I'll go talk it to them about it. Definitely does. I, I look at people like Larry's videos completely different now that I know the guy, you know, and I exactly it's the same. Yeah. Do it. Does anyone else? I mean, does anyone else find that if you watch too much of like gaming content, in, especially perhaps especially from someone you know, you consume too much, like like you kind of end up taking and almost copying their style, like copying their um, their like quirks almost. I mean, not intentionally. Uh, I, I do get that. I mean, I'm working on um, uh, a script. So I'm getting lots of interviews together for to do uh, my version of Defunct Land uh, on Sega World in Trocadero. I want to do the whole history of the Trocadero Centre in London and basically uh, spend the majority of it looking at Sega World, obviously, but like what, what, what it's become now and what it was beforehand. And I can't help, but as I'm getting all of this information together, almost make it as my version of Defunct Land, which obviously I don't want to do, but at the same time, I'm more than happy to. I mean... He, uh, you, you get inspiration from so many different places. I, I, I watch this, nothing to do with gaming whatsoever, but I got really into this, um, uh, this podcast and YouTube channel called The, uh, uh, the Rotoscopers. And the way that they treat their, their audience and stuff was a real big inspiration for me. And you, you do get this inspiration for your channel from the weirdest of places. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's... Mm -hmm. now? Hmm. Well, the, the people who I'm a patron to, I don't miss. So, uh, Kim... Um, Dr. Andrew Armstrong from the Back Office Show, um, who are Clint, of course, at Lazy Game Reviews. More and more, I've been binging on Oliver Harper, speaking of um, movie reviews, Oliver Harper's movie reviews. And he joined us recently in the cave where we did a live stream with the Amiga. And um, it was a stream of Amiga movie games. So it was good to have a, a real movie critic there to, to critique the, the games and to tell us how close they were to the movies. And of course, well, we, know, we all know how movie game adaptations go. It, it rarely goes well. But it was a good stream. It was good fun. Um, and YouTube's best kept secret, less than 100 subscribers, take out your phones and subscribe to Derek Findas. Yes. He's a, uh, he's, uh, you know him, he's a Scotsman, he's based in Dundee. It's presented like um, an archive of old VHS videotapes of a man who's obsessed with the ZX Spectrum and will kill you, kill you if you mention the Commodore 64. 
um, and it's brilliant. It'll give you the best five minutes of entertainment every Sunday night. Derek, D-E-R-E-K, space, Findas, F-I-N-D-A-S. I second that. An amazing, it's so funny. You guys ever watch a guy called a Drugger One? You've seen him? He's great, he's this guy, he's, um, he, he puts a camera on and he'll like install Windows ME for an hour and it always goes wrong, everything he does, or he put a solid state drive in like an old Mac and he just does it all live, it's, it's, everything goes wrong that could possibly go wrong, yeah. he's really good to Have you seen on one. Twitch, so there's a guy who just permanently streams a hard disk defragmenting, that's it, <laughs> 24-7, brilliant entertainment. There's, there's loads of people like that, I mean even like Novabug, uh, loads of people out here know no Novabug is, but he does those live streams where he like literally loads up uh, Amstrad cassettes live, the bit that you didn't want to wait for, you can watch Will it work? live, it work? Yeah. it's so cool, yes. <laughs> it's oh, I'm going to watch that, actually no I think I will, it's really cool, there I is like something that. Yeah. Weirdly satisfying about such things, <laughs> and that's you know people really catch into yeah like whether it's just loading something that takes on has a weird quirky sequence. I guess it's like because you, you get things like well people do a lot of, like slow motion stuff these days, and it's like slow motion of a complete mundane thing like I don't know slow motion bottle flip. Um, that would have been a lot cooler. Um, <laughs> But even though that's completely mundane, it'll, if it's slow motion, it gets millions of views. Well, we were talking about a podcast last week. There's a new archive website for banner ads from the late 90s. Some guys actually archive them all on a website. If you ever miss those, like, you know, adverts from, like, Gator or whoever it used to be, or Bonsai Buddy and stuff like that, he's put them all together on a website. Do you website. remember when you could be paid to click on banners? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was at uni, I used to try and make enough beer money just by clicking on banners all evening. It worked sometimes. I've always wished there was someone that saved the emails, like, the, from the, even, like, the days when I first logged on my Dreamcast, I used to get the weekly emails. I'd yeah. love to see that. I, I, that's so niche, but I'd love that. I actually got through the post. And I've never seen a picture on it. I've tried to Google image it in so many forums. I've never found it again. But because uh, I bought my Dreamcast right on the launch, I actually got this little bit of card through the post that was in the shape of a spaceship. And um, if I basically went online, it said if you go online, you get a free copy of Choo Choo Rocket. And I just wish I could find that bit of card. I've never, ever seen anyone ever post it. Hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. Or not. Well, Adam, you travel around the world a lot in your videos. I've seen you do um, like gaming shop tours in Japan and yeah, all sorts of Yeah, I get around. <laughs> How do you find it differs around the world in different communities? And you've got any favorite places? Uh, in, what's, in what regard? Like, like to buy stuff? Yeah, or just to buy or actually. Japan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Uh, yeah, buying stuff in Japan is amazing. It's so cheap over there. It does spoil you, though, because like, you'll go out and you'll see, like, oh, there's like a seller selling retro stuff. I'm like, <laughs> that's terrible. Like, compared to what it could cost in Japan. Like, uh, one of the gray Sega Saturns, you walk into like a hard off, which is one of the chains over there. It's like three, $3 all day. Uh, which is like two and a half pounds. Like, that's nothing. You know? And then you see them out there, and you're like, well, I don't blame them. It took a lot of work to get it there, but it screws you up. But if you just want to buy a bunch of stuff, Japan all the way. Well, I've watched pretty much all of you live streaming as well. And uh, what's the difference between live streaming? Like, I know you get the instant reaction, but um, do you kind of find it more satisfying, or, or do you find videos more satisfying? It's a um... I mean, I live stream um, quite a bit. I think the difference is, I mean, when you make videos, especially when you make, like, big edited documentaries, you know, you spend all this time making sure everything's spot on. Live stream, you know, y it's more natural. I mean, there's nothing really natural about making a two-and-a-half-hour documentary. Um, but, you know, you can't edit your cadence of speech on a live stream. Things will go on. There'll be 
banter, there'll be back and forth with the audience. And, and it's a good laugh because, you know, you just start with a stream and you don't know where it's going to go, like where it's going to end up. It might be completely manic. It might be an absolute disaster. It, it, it's always fun. You know, there's more... It's more human, I suppose. Yeah, you get you let your hair down. It's, it's your way. Like, the reason I want to start doing streaming a lot more, which I will be doing in about four or five weeks when I take a different turn with YouTube, is... Um, uh, uh, it's a good way for you actually to play games. For, for me to be able to make my channel, I have to sacrifice a few things. I, you know, I don't want to sacrifice any time with the family and I try and keep that down to a minimum. But the things I try, I actually sacrifice to be able to put out as much content as I do is to sacrifice my sleep and sacrifice my game time. I hardly play games, which is crazy considering I run a gaming channel. I, I um, can relate, buddy. Trust me. Yeah. I, I understand. <laughs> so I well, hardly I play... Held on. It was yeah, yeah, empathy, yeah, yeah. Empathy. So yeah, I don't... High um, five, dude. <laughs> I, uh, I, I hardly play many scared. games to the point where I, I, I remember um, Larry got me to play some... What was it, Broforce? Anyone know Broforce? Yeah, 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 yeah. so he yeah. said, oh, do you want to play some Broforce online? I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to proper show him up. This is my game. And I was... I was so bad, but I'm just, I'm losing all of my gaming, uh, you know, my gaming yeah, abilities. not skilled anymore. So, yeah, I basically, I'm losing, knocking out of my sleep. I normally go to bed about two or three most mornings, um, uh, get up early for work the next day, and then just, like, uh, zombie my way through the video, basically. Um, so, uh, yeah, live stream is a perfect way for me to be able to just chill out and actually play some video games. I mean, I'm not doing it naturally. I don't, I don't commentate in my own bedroom on my own, you know. But, but still, it's my way of playing video games. I live stream, so I have friends. I, I genuinely work and basically live in a cave. It is a basement office with no windows. And I work in there Monday to Friday. And if I don't live stream, I don't see anyone. <laughs> so my live streams are, are more of an event. I make it monthly and I invite four or five people around, try and get a guest like Oliver Harper. The previously mentioned Derek Findas is coming in uh, end of November, maybe December, to do a, a Christmas live stream. So, <laughs> oh, and Ravi, yeah. Ravi can come do uh, an Amiga one. And, and Dan's talking about coming to do a, a Mega Drive um, with a twist. We're talking Pioneer Laser Active and um, a, a, a Sega Terra Drive, which is like a 286 PC mixed with a Mega Drive. So a bit of a twist on the Mega Drive. So yeah, I tried to make it more of an event rather than just me streaming games. Uh, and I think it works. Yeah, you even have adverts included. You make your own adverts and, and you do them in a like 80s style as well, which is pretty cool. It's, it's tailored to the stream. So with the movie stream, we did make some, um, some fake movie trailers featuring Gary, who's one of the patrons, um, and Trevor the tortoise, who's the channel mascot. He's a tortoise with an attitude. He's a, he's a cheetah tortoise joystick, who I just reviewed one day. Somebody decided to give him AI and put him in the Discord server. He abused everyone in every room, and we had to contain him in a room called Trevor's Cage. So you can still go and be abused by Trevor if you want to, but he's contained now, so it's, it's safe. Anyway, yes. Yeah. You've essentially made like a grindhouse cinema, haven't you? If you're in your room, you're like the, the, the trailers for films that actually aren't the real films exactly. in between your streams. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to streaming for me, on one of my other channels, we stream gameplay three times a week, twice on Twitch, once on YouTube, YouTube being more of an event. So on my channel, I kind of want to get away from streaming actual gameplay. So I'll sit there and do Q&As. 
Um, the last one I did was actually at Sega London's uh, headquarters, which was really cool. Um, but before that, I would do one like every month. I really overdo. I need to do another. And my all-time record was seven hours of just sitting there taking questions. By the end, I thought I was a Smurf. Like it was <laughs> like I had just was I'd lost my mind. But still, it was fun. I like doing that. It's a great just do the audience participation thing. I mean, it's. It's basically you're just sitting there talking like forever, but it, it feels very gratifying to know that these people are still sitting there seven hours later being like, yes, I have another question. It's just cool. It does become kind of a regular thing as well. I mean, I've done kind of long streams like that as well, as well but as, and who knows, watch them, that usually involves old gaming TV shows and lots of drink. I, mean, I had to kind of stop doing that because, you know, my doctor wasn't really happy with me because of that. It was well. It's really funny because I watch some of your streams and you stay up way longer than I do. And <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, I'll quickly just check the last ten minutes of your stream just to see how messy you get <laughs> right near the end. I mean, but I've had. I mean, I think God, was it was it my birthday stream last year? I think I went on for about nine hours. Yeah, and it was about on, and it was on. about four in the morning, and I'm and I'm literally just there going. It was just before the Heroes of Wrestling video. And I was like, oh, right, this brilliant video is coming and, you know, you can't wait to see it. You know, it's fagging, I fagging love you guys and all that sort of it's thing. Amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Kim streaming when I'm getting up for work at like, yeah, 4 or 5 a.m. sometimes. When yeah. I see you pop up as well on Christmas Day, Kim is streaming. I'm like, come on, uh, fair yeah. play. I think, yeah, I, I always stream on Christmas Day. I actually kind of think that's important because not to be too serious for the moment, but a lot of people are alone on Christmas Day. So I, I always stream on Oh, day. good always. old Kim. Good old Kim. If you want to know the real Kim Justice, watch her play GTA and see the way she speaks to the citizens of San Andreas. <laughs> While running them over and shooting them. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about your collections. I mean, when you did those retrospectives, Adam, um, you had pretty much every system in front of you. So how big is your game collection, console collection? Uh, big. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, like, yeah, I mean, most consoles, you name it, I've got it. I've even, like, okay, I'm so, like, out of things to get that I'm wandering around here trying to find Amstrad GX 4000 games, which is a console that only came out in this country. I'm like, I, I got nothing else to look for. That's what I have to look for. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, complete sets or whatever, it's only a few. Like, uh, I've got a complete Dreamcast, all North American, all PAL exclusives, all Japanese exclusives, all independents. Uh, then I have, like, random ones, like Atari Jaguar CD for some reason. Um, but for the most Five part, it's just... Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, 13. It's more okay, than, and, and for some reason, it has an independent scene that actively still makes games for it. Like, I was literally at Portland Retro Game Expo last week, and I go to Atari Ages booth, and they have, like, a whole bunch of Jaguar CD games. I'm like, who is buying this? <laughs> I'm, it's, it's like, dude, I own a Jaguar CD, and even I'm not doing that. But still, mad respect for somebody who cares enough to do that. That's just badass. Especially because so many of those systems don't even yeah, work. Yeah, there was less than 10,000 units ever shipped. Um, I have one. It works. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I have a lot, of, a lot of crap. Do you have contacts in different countries to help you with your collections? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but these days I just go there myself. I just show up. <laughs> oh, um, not really that much of a collection. Um, I um I dabble in more in like smaller collections. Like I might collect things on a theme. Like I'm a big fan of the Fire Pro Wrestling series of games. So I kind of make it if there's a there you go. Um, so I like I I just like I want to collect all the Fire Pro games because that's more manageable than me trying to collect a full set of 
a machine. I don't have the space <laughs> for that. There's too many other things. I genuinely I envy you, seriously. Like, <laughs> it's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but then if I had more space, I'd probably go down that route. <laughs> I, I sadly sold the hardcore majority of my collection. The only collection that I still have from originally owning it is my Dreamcast collection, which isn't enormous, maybe like 120, 30-odd games. Um, which I know is still pretty big to the average person, but it, you know that, that's probably the best that I have. I sold all my Mega Drive games to get a few extra controllers for my Dreamcast. I sold my... GameCube and Saturn collection two or three years ago, but the only reason I've done that is because I live in a place right now, uh, I edit in the living room right next to where my wife watches the crap that she watches in a Strictly Come Dancing or whatever it is next to me. And um, I, I just never, ever, ever played these games. And sometimes, you know, I want to go make the Echo the Dolphin video. I went out and bought that game and I, oh, I own it. Oh my God, I own it twice. Now I own it three times, you know. So I, forget, I started to forget what I owned and I sold the hardcore majority of my content. But... I am about to move, and like you say, if you had the space, I am about to have the space, so I do see the collection starting to hit hard. Um, I think I'm going to start going for the Japanese uh, Mega Drives uh, collection. Buy them in Japan, I'm yeah. telling you. <laughs> Just do it. Also, I'm, I'm really interested in the, uh, if anyone doesn't know, I've really recently discovered this, I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested in trying to collect the PAL Asian Mega Drive games. Um, if you check out the box art for that, it's beautiful. It's like a mix match of all of the different, it's got like the the, the Genesis logo, the Japanese MD above it, uh, but all around a, a PAL-looking case. It's beautiful. I want to try and collect those. And there's not that many. It looks like a, maybe a doable thing to do. Hmm. My collection is mostly systems rather than games, but I really want to get more into, into the game collecting. The games I've got are a huge mishmash of whatever's come with the systems when I've bought them. But I really want to sort of break that down because it's a rabbit hole. If you say I'm going to collect games, it can go on forever. So I want to break it down. I want to collect Psygnosis games because I love that Roger Dean artwork on, on those games. Um, Sierra games, LucasArts games, all those great PC big box games and Amiga big box yeah. games. Um, yeah, so I'm going to try and start collecting games. Yeah. So are all you guys uh, millionaires then? Because when you hear about YouTube, people always think you're earning amazing amounts of money. No. <laughs> no. 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 Uh, no. YouTube, there's no... You people ask, well, how much money do you make on YouTube? That sort of thing. Every single person will say a different answer because every single person has it differently. There's no... You can't... You know, what was it? It's like per thousand views is roughly equivalent to a pound. It, it used to be more consistent, and it now used it's like a it's rough ride since Adpocalypse hit. It's absolutely crazy. A, a kick scammer video that's 40 minutes long may only be a crazy amount more than a video that's two hours long or something. It, it, it makes absolutely... It makes sense to me because I look at it all the time and I know how my channel works, but I guarantee if I looked at one yeah. of these guys, it would be completely different. So no, none of us are millionaires, but... <laughs> Let's talk, you know, talking about collecting as well, are there any systems that are like on your hit lists or anything that you really want to get? Everything on Quang's table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just missed just out. Just 15 grand. <laughs> yeah. I just missed out this week. I've been um, making a documentary on the Atari 2600 because I want to look more at consoles and, um, you know, not just do the, the usual cover in a console. I want to look at the similarities between the consoles and the computers. So... For example, Jay Miner worked on the 2600 on the TIA chip and then went on to do other Atari home computers and the Amiga, of course. Um, so um, where were we going with this? What was the question? Things I want to collect. So looking at the 2600, a lot of people think that's the first console, but actually you had the Fairchild Channel F before that, which was the first uh, console with programmable and, ch and changeable ROM cartridges. Um, 
and, and a CPU. And before that, you had the Magnavox Odyssey and all those Pong games that Adam loves so much from They're the 1970s. The so, um, but yeah, I just missed out. There was um, a Fairchild Channel F on eBay this week for 50 quid or best offer. And I thought, oh, I put in a cheeky 25 pound offer and then work up from there. And he said, no, sold. And it was gone to someone else. And I missed out on the first, you know, proper cartridge-based consoles. So um, I need to learn my lesson and just cough up the full price, I think. Um, I'm all the way down to the point where I need an FM Towns Marty. Anybody even know what that is? Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, there's one out there. But, yeah, uh, yeah that's, uh, it's just a random, obscure Japanese console. Its only claim to fame is it's the first fifth-generation machine. That's about it. But I need that. Did it have a CD on it? Was it yeah. CD-ROM? Yeah. yeah I know the Amiga CD32, they all said yeah. that was the first. The FM Towns Marty barely beat that thing out. And I do have one of those, the Amiga CD32. Well, talking about, like, you know, the Jaguar CD, for example, I mean, have you got any, um, any of you guys got any systems that you actually quite like that are actually considered a bit of a failure or that didn't do very well? Anything you got a bit of affinity for? Uh, I suppose you could say the Mega CD. I love the Mega CD. That's big, big cool. fan of the Mega CD. And, and, and everything that attaches to the Mega Drive, honestly. Like, people rag on the 32X, but I think that's a fantastic system. Uh, it just there wasn't enough time for it to, to really get the full potential out, you know. Yeah, I love I, those systems. I kind of like all that stuff, but I kind of like them partially for just the stories that, you know, like of how they got made and all that stuff. I mean, the games are obviously a big part of that, but sometimes just like the history of how something came into existence, like, you know, the Apple Pippin or whatever, to me is just fascinating more than the actual like games that you can play on it. But if you're asking me, is there like some really obscure thing that I'm just like, oh, when I get home, that's like, I'm going to play that. Like, no, that's not really a thing. I mean, 3DO is kind of one I've always had a soft spot for. Um, just because of um, how driven, I suppose, and <laughs> Kind of eccentric, I guess, Trip Hawkins and me. Um, yeah, and kind of a lot of that stuff is just interesting because it was, you know, it was at a sort of crossroads. There was one future and then another future. That one future was live action, the other one was 3D polygons, and obviously 3D won in the end. But, you know, there was that time when everyone was just like, you know, this future. Like, I remember um, Games Master, the show, I think it was Series 3, the, um, the Dexter Fletcher series. Um, <laughs> They used to, um, for the whole series, they had a fin. You can win the room of the future. And I think that the systems that were there, there was a 3DO, a CDI, um, and I think a Mega CD. <laughs> alternate future. Yeah, very much alternate future. <laughs> I love the obscurities as well. I mean, we, we saw that game, didn't we, just now, over in the, the, the like, box-up Mega CD games. There was one there that I had never seen, and that, that really rarely happens. There was one called Animals. I was like, what is this? And the blurb on the back says, over 200 real animal sounds. I was like, what? <laughs> what is this? It was 60 quid, and I really wanted it more than probably any of the other amazing games they had on display, because I've just never heard of Animals for the Mega CD. All right, so I'm going to tell you a little obscure Sega CD story. So I, I don't know what it was like here, because the 32X was more of an American thing. I know you guys got it, but there was six games released that used the Sega CD and the 32X at the same time, uh, and they were all FMV-based games. So things like Fahrenheit and uh, Supreme Warrior and Corpse Killer. You're right. So of those five, I don't know which were released here. We got, or sorry, of the six, we got five of them. And then the sixth one was Surgical Strike, which did come out on the Sega CD normally, but the 32X CD version only came out in Brazil. And it was super obscure to the point where people didn't believe it was real. 
Um, and like I think it was like two years ago, this super collector in Brazil died, and that the only copy that was known was his. It went into these guys' hands. They reproduced it through Sega because Sega Brazil is insane. And uh, they produced 100 copies, and this dude still have them in stock. Highly recommend that as a random piece of obscure thing to pick up. Um, just because I talked to the guy directly. He's like, we're never doing this again because we couldn't sell 100 copies. Um, but I talked to Sega briefly. I'm like, do you guys authorize these? like, probably. I don't know. <laughs> like, like, like. That's a good thing about Sega, though. They actually they do respect the retro community, and they're pretty chilled about it, aren't they? Really, not like Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I just love that Adam's come over here and he really wants an Amstrad GX4000. I have the console. I have the console. I bought it like just two or games. three trips ago. Yeah. And, but I was looking for games. And dude, I came out here when they were setting stuff up. There was this guy who had a box of the games. I'm like, those are mine. And I looked around, never found them again. Somebody bought those before I ever got the chance. Yeah. And I'm still upset about it. <laughs> it's always the same story with those, isn't it? The, the GX4000, I don't know if you saw, there was the Commodore game system out on the, on the floor today. Yeah, they go for a lot now, though, don't they? I think Probably. it's the worst-selling console of all time, isn't it, officially? Like, it sold, what, a couple of thousand? It didn't really help that you couldn't start most of the games. <laughs> like, you actually couldn't, because they poured some games to the game system um, from the original C64, but to start some of them, you had to press space, and they actually didn't map that to the <laughs> controller. So I think it's like Terminator 2, which the system launched with, you can't start it. <laughs> you cannot play the game. It's a bit of an oversight, that, isn't it? It's yeah, impressive incompetence. Slight <laughs> screw-up. All right, we're going to give you guys a chance to um, ask any questions now. If you've got a question for any of our panel, just put your hand up, and we'll run over with the mic. <laughs> hey, guys. What's the best piece of advice you can give to small YouTubers? Single best piece of advice? Keep making the videos you would want to see, and don't worry yourself too much about the numbers. Just keep doing it. Have fun. Yeah. Being a small YouTuber... Well, I mean, obviously being a YouTuber is fun, but you can have a lot more fun when you're a small YouTuber. But when, until, I mean, because a lot of people, when they get big, you know, some people kind of get stuck doing, you know, they're, they're beholden to the content that made yeah. them. People want to see no. what they know you for. Mm. So as a, a smaller YouTuber, you have the advantage of like, I haven't discovered my voice yet. So you can kind of do whatever you want until you get pigeonholed into like this one specific niche. And that's an unfortunate curse. I got really into trying to discover different ways, exactly what you're saying there, trying to find new ways of, uh, you know, trying to get my, my name out there, that sort of thing. And uh, I, I'm a huge, huge emphasis on, on the fact that you need to learn how to use Twitter as best as you can. I didn't understand Twitter in this. What, that, what is a hashtag? I had no idea. And it kills me because for the people in the room who don't know, I used to have a TV show on Channel 5. And uh, in the corner, the, the company used to put hashtag human guinea pigs. And I never thought about going on Twitter to actually look that up. What I did in my early days and... I don't care saying it now, but what I used to do is basically after I did a video essentially on something like Streets of Rage or Golden Axe or one of these you know, big franchises, I would go to Twitter and search for people that are also talking about that so that I could start conversations with those people. And that is how I got to, uh, it doesn't sound like big now, but uh, that's how I got into double digits a day on subscribers quite quickly. Uh, there was other things I was doing as well, but that was probably the thing that helped me out the most. So learning how to, to reach out to the right sort of people. And obviously, yeah, I mean, you, you, you're already doing it, like, um, uh, building up relationships with as many people as possible. But, and I know that sounds very business-orientated, and I, I am looking at it from like my, my marketing and sales background, but at the same time, I enjoy 
talking to Kim and Adam and, and Neil about gaming and everyone there about being, I want people to come up and talk to me about gaming so talking to someone about Streets of Rage a video I've just done loads of Streets of Rage stuff about is, 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 is it's exciting and it helps your content and your channel grow like that I, I think it's so important to learn how to use Twitter well, new, new, new YouTubers, you, you know, you've got to get over the basics. Do you remember when you were a kid and you used to make a radio show on your little portable radio and then you'd listen to it back and you'd be really embarrassed at your own voice? I think we've probably all had that when we started out. I, I couldn't bear to watch and listen to Goodness, myself. So, yes. you know, just get over the, those hurdles. But also, once you get into the flow, nobody on YouTube owns an idea. Just because somebody's covered something, it doesn't mean you can't touch it. So just do it and do it in your own way. Exactly, yeah, completely. Like I said, I, I spent a whole like year constantly redoing that first video before I finally got the encouragement. And the, the encouragement was the fact that uh, Lazy Game Reviews done a video on the Amstrad CPC. And I'm like, oh, no, I've got to get it out now. Even the, the Americans are talking about our home computer <laughs> stuff now. You know, I better get out there and do it. And um, the same month I opened up my copy of Retro Gamer magazine, there was a whole section on it about Alan Sugar talking about Roland on the ropes and stuff. I'm like, right, I've got to get this done. I've got to get it out. And my biggest 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 regret because this last couple of years has been so hard with having two kids and running a YouTube channel and having a nine to five not starting it five to ten years ago when I wanted to start it because if I did I know where I would be now and it would be uh, yeah, I'd probably be traveling the world Adam yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what he said about do it your own way that's really important don't emulate the success of people you like like when angry video game blew up or video, angry video game nerd blew up everybody was like the you know the irate gamer and like the, uh, there was a million of, and it's like and, and I got nothing against Chris he's a, he's a good dude but like it's it's just don't do that. That won't last. You're just cloning someone else and you will always be considered second best. You also have to decide what kind of YouTube career you want. You can have the short burst one where you do the news for views stuff, but that will last you a year, two years, until some sort of drama will kill your channel. So it's, you can have slow growth and last, or you can burn out really fast. Um, but yeah, there's, there's multiple paths, but whatever instinctually makes sense to you, like whatever kind of path you want to take, that's just what you should pursue. Hello. Um, just wondered how you go about uh, kind of dealing with like negative like comments or ne the negative side of, of YouTube. I laugh and I move on. Like, um, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, negative comments. They can be annoying at the start, but eventually, finish trolls. They you're never perfect. They they will always pick on something. It, it, so it really doesn't matter. Eventually, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's the opinion of someone you don't respect or care about, yeah. so wh who, it doesn't matter. It's just words. It's, it's so easy to say, but people do take it seriously. And I understand people do take in negative comments seriously. All I can say is just try your best to not take yeah, it. And I'll give you a, a piece of advice for both of you, because I know you asked about this, and for you, uh, because you're asking about that. Never go public with negativity. Like, never take, like, someone gave me a nasty Such comment. A and yeah, oh, yeah don't right. post it like, some guy said this to me. And it's like, you're just giving that guy attention, and now people have a reason to keep doing that to you. That is a terrible thing to do. Don't take I out... never argue back, yeah, either. Yeah, never <laughs> argue, but don't feed the trolls, as they say. Don't give public attention to any of that stuff. You know, it's, it's never going to work in your favor. Just move on. I do, yes. Your head's on upside down. Do you paint your eyebrows on? <laughs> And, uh, and worse, of course. But I, I think it's also important, I, I just delete them. Um, YouTube doesn't do a bad job of filtering them out, the really bad ones out for me. I just 
delete. Or you can just um, shadow ban people so they think they comment in and they funny, never appear. That's, that's fun. the best. They think they're talking to everybody, but no one sees yeah, it. No yes. one can see yeah, it. But it is important to differentiate between trolling and criticism that you can use constructively. You do need to look out for that. Extremely valid point. Yeah. Yeah, not everybody who's uh, coming after you is trying to insult you. They're just saying, like, dude, you need a better camera, which is totally true. I do. But screw it. <laughs> when someone tells me I've got a fact wrong or they want to add a bit, I can't believe oh, you. You forgot this. Like, you always get that. You forgot this. Like, yeah. No, I didn't forget it. Yeah. It's just how long do you want me to make this video? You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. Um, but I remember even when I was less than a thousand subscribers, when I actually replied to someone like, oh, yeah, good point. I'll, uh, you know, they, they were so excited that I replied that all of a sudden they've turned from a troll or an angry back, uh, an yep. angry fan, whatever, into an actual fan. Yeah, that will happen a you, lot. You talk to them, so just try your very best to uh, just just put up with it. Um, it isn't for everybody because I know there are people out oh, there. Yeah, that no, really, not everybody really can do it. Badly. That's another qualifier of YouTube. You got to just roll with those punches. Mm -hmm. And tying it in, sorry, Kim, tying it in with the earlier question of advice for new YouTubers um, on the topic of criticism. If somebody says your mic's rubbish or your lighting's rubbish or, or, or something like that, you know, if you're trying to grow a YouTube channel, you do have to treat it a little bit like a business in that if you don't invest in it, you're not going to grow it. Spend a little bit of money, you know, 30 quid on a decent light or, or a yeah. better microphone. Just one thing at a time if you want to make improvements. So I've got two questions. Firstly, for the whole panel, what has been the most personally fulfilling moment of your YouTube careers thus far? And this one's for Daniel. Will you look at Godzilla video games? So uh, the Godzilla video games thing, there, there was a guy that commented on every single one of my videos for probably, he's calmed down a little bit recently, but probably for what, two years? Will you look at Godzilla video games, exclamation mark about 50 times, every single video, uh, to the point where I upload it, a second later he would be there. So no, I'm not going to. Uh, although I was, uh, he, he also got obsessed with Terminator, uh, Robocop versus Terminator, so one day when I do that, I'm going to dedicate it to him. Um, and what was the other question? Oh, personal fulfilling moment. Oh, okay. I might have in trouble. As a YouTuber. I'll let someone else take because I can't remember. Um, my most personal fulfilling moments have always been like when the subjects of the documentaries and videos that I've made have come to me and said, and actually said, you know, that was fantastic work because, you know, no one <laughs> knows better than, than the people who were there, the people I'm talking about. And so when you had some of that... Um, I've had someone like David Pleasance today saying that to me over the course of this weekend. John Hare as well came to me after the Sensi video and said, that's the best video work I've ever seen anyone do on Sensi. That's like, you know, that means a hell of a lot. But also, um, personal film, and um, to go off, of course, to be a bit more personal, I mean, I'm obviously transgender, and the things that I cover on the channel aren't obviously necessarily about that. But I know that but through doing what I do is like and um, just being out there and doing my own personal stuff rather than just being a channel that talks about those issues which a lot are um, to actually just do an, like stuff on the things that interest me is what you know excites me and when I hear that people have been inspired by that and to do the same thing that also is like very fulfilling personally um, I've had a few some unfortunately I can't mention because I was told things by companies that are like, oh, we did this because of that, but I can't say what they are. But a couple others that were, um, I, a few years ago, I took Back to the Future, the game for, by Telltale, and I turned it into two movies. If you look up Back to the Future 4 and Back to the Future 5, you will see two completely edited films on my channel. Uh, it was a hell of a lot of work. 
But I thought, you know, at first I thought you know, maybe Telltale is going to come after me, whatever. No, they emailed me and they're like, we always wondered if this would work, and this was amazing. Rest in peace, Telltale Games, by the way. Um, the, but the most satisfying thing is my favorite game of all time is Shenmue, and I've been preaching about that game for years. I'm just like, people, get behind this game. So when Sega reached out to me and was like, we want you to help us bring this game back, I was like... <laughs> To me, that was the all-time. I was like, wow, that's okay. Thank you. I've done it. I'm off. <laughs> yeah, there's so many little points. Uh, obviously, uh, Sega invited me along to talk about the Mega Drive. My God, like, uh, crazy, crazy. So, yeah, obviously that. Uh, like you said, I've had the odd developer. Even to the point where I made a really old video. I was talking maybe three years ago. I made a video called Zombies Ate My Neighbors Was a Trilogy, which is a joke you know, clickbaity title where I looked at that and then two other games and the guy that made Zombies Ain't My Neighbors got hold of me and thanked me for the video and then started showing me, uh, started showing me screenshots of the unreleased Zombies Ain't My Neighbors sequel that never got made. Um, and just seeing something like that, that's insane. And then I also had it when I did my Crash Bandicoot video, I had someone that worked on Crash, Crash from Insanity sort of showing me all this concept art and he goes, we'll have to do a video together and I can show you all of the crazy stuff that never ended up being in Crash from Insanity. I'm like, yeah, and it took so bloody long and then Game Hut come along and done the video before me. Um, so yeah, stuff like that, uh, getting to meet other YouTubers is always like mind blowing. And when I walk around here, when someone wants to shake my hand because they like my content, that is out of this world and probably the first time I ever like almost brought a bit of a tear to my eye almost was um, uh, when someone said that I uh, helped them with depression because they were in a uh, yeah, hospital. that's always like, it's amazing. That's like, whoa, that's like another level. Like yeah, when someone was exactly. in hospital and they spent like the, during the, 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 the amount of days they were in there just binging my videos. I'm like, mm. that is insane. Almost yeah. being there with them in that sense, like, whoa. So yeah, yeah they, they, there's a few there. There isn't a one particular moment, but yeah, as a, as a whole, putting it all together, it, it just proves it to be that, that, that this is the thing I want to do because of these yeah, when, when you that does occasionally happen, and it's it's very emotionally gratifying when somebody's like, dude, you know, because of you, my life is like this now. It's like, wow, because you know, I'm like, I'm playing a video game console, but for some reason, that made you feel that much better. Awesome, that's incredible. So yeah, I completely yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your stories. Say so thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.